Hey friends, welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I'm your host, Sharon Betters, and it is such a privilege for us to share these few minutes with you as we share the redemption stories that we hope are going to help turn your heart toward Jesus, no matter how dark the pathway is that you are on or maybe a friend is on and you need to know how to help guide them. Well, after the fatal car accident of our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, we found hope and comfort through those who were ahead of us in the grief journey. There were times where we didn't even know how we were gonna get out of bed the next day. And so we needed someone ahead of us in the journey to take us by the hand, to step back into their own pain and to offer us the comfort and encouragement that God had given to them. And God kept many of his promises through those precious people who willingly walked with us. As our sorrow began to lift a little bit, we knew we wanted to be that same source of comfort to others, not just to bereaved parents, but those who were going through any kind of a life crisis. And so one of the ways that we do that and fulfill the vision of marking to offer the health and hope of Jesus to hurting people is to share redemption stories and practical applications of scripture to hard places in our lives. We're going to be talking about a topic today that probably you don't hear too much about. And yet I think it's something that almost everyone struggles with at some time in their lives. And that is with unwanted thoughts. Maybe it's those conversations we have with ourselves after we've gone through a broken relationship and we want to go back and we want to say things differently and we want to fix things. And we, and we think that if we can get the conversation just right in our heads, then then it'll be ready to offer publicly. Or maybe it's thoughts that are rooted in fear, fear of the unknown, or maybe a horrible past of abuse. Well, our guest today, Esther Smith offers 12 strategies for changing unwanted thoughts in her book, A Still and Quiet Mind. And I have to tell you, I love this book and I hope you'll get it. Esther is a licensed counselor who specializes in helping people who experience trauma, anxiety, and physical illness. She has also authored a devotional on chronic illness and is co-author of The Whole Life. I know that This conversation is going to be like salty peanuts for you. You're you're going to have to get her book, A Still and Quiet Mind, so that you can spend time soaking in some of the practical applications that she offers. Not only does she offer these applications that are rooted in scripture, but she has experienced herself the struggle with unwanted thoughts. And so I know that you're going to appreciate the conversation that you are about to hear. So Esther, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, before we jump into our topic of thoughts, can you just share a little bit about your life? Sure. So my name is Esther Smith. I live with my husband near Baltimore. We're just south of the city in Baltimore, Maryland. We have two huge dogs, two Italian mastiffs that we live with who I love spending time with. And I work as a counselor. So just in my day-to-day life, what I'm doing for my work is counseling through my private practice. 
So I am both a licensed and a biblical counselor. I kind of have training in both both sides, both those areas, and um, have been counseling for the past 10 years and really recently started my own private practice called Christian Trauma Counseling. So I specialize in helping people who have experienced trauma, people who have anxiety, people who have physical health conditions. And I just absolutely love that that's how I get to spend my day um, counseling people and being able to do some writing surrounding those topics. So yes, very, very thankful to be able to do that. Well, the listeners, you cannot see Esther, but she doesn't look old enough to be able to do all this. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's giving you a very youthful look. So you love what you're doing. It can, it's not that it doesn't get tiring. It does, especially over the past couple of years, it's gotten tiring, but I, I have been told I do look younger than I am. Well, we are so grateful to you for the way that God is giving you opportunities to share his good news and to help people, broken people, especially people affected by trauma. That is so needed. It is so critical and so needed. So thank you for what you're doing. Well, we're going to be talking today about your book, A Still and Quiet Mind. And I've read it. I love it. I'm going to go back through it again. I've practiced some of the things that you recommended, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I just first want to highly recommend it to anyone who is listening. Uh, pass the word. It's, it's just very different. But Esther, there are a lot of books out there written. I'm sure that your publisher looked at you and said, okay, why is this one different? So tell us why this book has a different take on controlling our thoughts. Yeah, so I think that the reason I wanted to write this book is that I looked at some of the resources out there and I heard from some of my counseling clients and I experienced myself that a lot about what we hear about changing our thoughts in a lot of Christian circles focuses, and this is understandable, but it focuses on these very cognitive approaches to changing our thoughts. And that, like, at first, that makes a lot of sense. Like, if we want to change our thoughts, we focus on looking at our thoughts directly, figuring out if our thoughts are true, figuring out what scripture says, trying to think about how we talk to ourselves, trying to think about how we can focus our thoughts on what is good, true, pure, all those other things that scripture tells us to focus our thoughts on. And those are all really good and really wonderful and really biblical ways to approach changing our thoughts. But I think the problem is that it's not complete enough and it's not comprehensive enough for people who are really struggling with some more complicated patterns of thought or people who have just been in it for a really long time. So what I wanted to offer with this book was was two things. One was a more holistic, more comprehensive, more multifaceted approach where, yes, we're looking at some of those strategies of self-talk and meditation and strategies that focus on the thoughts directly, but we're also looking at some other factors. We're looking at how our stories impact our thoughts and how our bodies impact our thoughts and how our hearts and our spiritual walks and our faith and our relationship with God affects our thoughts. And so thinking about it more holistically And then pairing that with some really practical strategies. So, I mean, the subtitle is 12 Strategies for Changing Unwanted Thoughts. And I I mean, I tried to, that's a very literal. Each chapter has very, very specific strategies. Strategies I teach people I counsel, strategies that I teach in classes where we're taking theory, good, good theory, and we're turning it into, okay, this is exactly how you do it. This is a meditation I can lead you through. This is a breathing exercise I can lead you through or some other coping skill to make it super practical. 
that was the main thing I wanted to, to have for the book. I can say it works because I get stuck in my thoughts and I did, I did, as I was reading, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. I could feel myself. I could feel the peace coming into my soul as I was practicing some of the things that you were suggesting. So we'll talk about that. I, I hope listener, that's a little salty peanut. You want to hear more. You want to know more about what we're talking about here, but what are, I mean, we're Christians and we have the power of the gospel and, you know, Jesus makes everything new. So why is it that Christians would get stuck with their thoughts? Mm -hmm. I think there's so many different reasons. So, I mean, I'll just, I can talk about some different ones. Um, I think one is that we hide the thoughts that we're having, right? So we're having these like really difficult thoughts. And sometimes this is not everybody. But we might feel ashamed of the thoughts that we're having. They might feel like it might feel scary to share them with somebody. We might feel like we are the only person who is having this terrible thought or the only person who struggles this much with our thought or the only person who can't stuck. So I think, I mean, even as Christians, especially because we feel like we have the power of the gospel, because we feel like we should be able to change, there can be some shame involved in the fact that we have not. And so then, we keep the thoughts inside. We don't talk about them. We pretend they're not there. We pretend they're not as bad as they actually are. And so we're not drawing people around us. We're maybe not even honestly sharing with God about the thoughts because we feel like we should have moved on. We feel like we should be past it. So sometimes just like the fact that we're hiding the thoughts inside, I think can be a factor. And then I think that sometimes we can simplify it. We can simplify how kind of going back to only those cognitive strategies, we get stuck because we think that, okay, I should be able to get through this just by praying or just by reading scripture or, or just by telling a friend, you know, maybe we have done those things. And there is this other complicated layer for some people where there's physical things going on in our bodies that are impacting the thoughts that are there. So it could be a physical condition that's leading to the thoughts. It could be like a thyroid condition that's causing depressive thoughts that we just haven't found yet or that we've ignored or that we've downplayed because we have the power of the gospel, right? But like that needs to be addressed. Or it could even be that the thoughts are leading to physical consequences. So like you have anxiety and it's leading to panic attacks and your, your chest is getting tight and you can't breathe and your heart is beating out of your chest and um, you don't know how to address that part of it. So that those physical um, sensations come up and it makes the thoughts worse. And it causes this like cycle that just gets worse and worse and worse. And a lot of people don't know how to address those physical factors that are coming up. There's a lot of reasons. Those are just, just a few. So one of the things that you would recommend then is get a checkup. Is sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If you, if the thoughts have been going on for a really long time, or they're just really intense and things are not working, absolutely going to talk to your doctor or going to talk to a psychiatrist or to a counselor. Absolutely. When I was um, reading your book, I was, I was struggling with a situation where I was angry and hurt and wanted to tell somebody off. You know, I wanted to straighten them out and call them to repentance and all of that kind of uh, stuff that I think many of us experience. Um, but it's been going on for a while. And frankly, there's a part of me that I, I don't want to change my thoughts because mm. I feel righteous 
in having those thoughts. But those kinds of thoughts, they stir me up and they make me anxious and they make me angry. And I was, you know, I thought, and I can't change it. I can't tell this person to repent. I, I can't confront them. It's not the right time. It's inappropriate. All those things. It's really nothing I can do except have all these crazy thoughts in my head that are useless, except to ruin my day. And so I, in one of your chapters, you talk about the scripture, be still and know that I am God and how to meditate on that and breathe in and breathe out. Can, and I did that. And as I mm-hmm. did that, I could feel this peace coming into my heart. Explain that. Ex- explain how you would lead somebody to take that moment of using scripture, of really meditating on scripture. But as you said, holistically, bringing your body into the mix to make it really intentional to confront some of those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a simple strategy that I teach to almost everybody that I counsel because it can be so effective. It's something that I use personally, especially at night to help me fall asleep. And I think the reason that it is so effective is because it addresses both your heart with scripture and your body with deep breathing. So, um, yeah, let's take a second to practice it right now. Like you said, so if you are listening to this, I encourage you, if you are doing something else while you're listening, if you're washing dishes, if you're multitasking, looking at your phone while listening to set that aside for a minute, and you may even want to close your eyes for this. So maybe sit down, get comfortable. If it feels good for you, close your eyes. If not, some people don't like closing their eyes. You can just kind of look down at your lap and set aside just everything that is around you and start by taking in a deep breath through your nose and letting it out through your mouth. And just do that a couple of times in through your nose and out through your mouth. And just notice what happens when you do just that. So notice what happens in your body, you might feel like your body just sink a little bit with each out breath and maybe rise a little bit with each in breath. And one more time, breathe in and breathe out. And then we're going to add a scripture meditation to this. So the next time you breathe in through your nose, you're going to remind yourself to be still. And then as you breathe out through your mouth, You're going to remind yourself and know that I am God. So breathe in, be still, and breathe out and know that I am God. Just do that a few more times. And notice what happens when you do. What happened in your mind? Did did your thoughts change? What happened in your heart as you were focusing on that scripture? What happened in your body as you were taking in those breaths? And just do a little check-in with yourself. What's different now, if anything, than before you started that exercise? So now we can all send you a check for ourselves. (laughs) Everything you were describing, I was going along with you doing exactly what you were saying. And that's exactly what I was doing. That exact verse, all of it. And I could feel my body changing. I could feel my heart slowing down, I could feel myself changing and the peace that's there. And, and I would suggest uh, my friends that if you're in a carpool and you're getting your kids and they're driving you crazy and you know, it's going to be terrible when you pick them up, just sit for a minute and, and practice this, take a scripture and practice this. The Lord just uses it to 
really fill our hearts with a peace that just for a moment, just take that breath. So thank you for that. One of the things that you said actually in your book on page 59, you said, we can know something about the state of our hearts by looking at our thoughts and oh dear. And it can be very despairing. I mean, we can be very despairing. I teach Bible study. I taught Bible study for years and years and years. And I taught on our thoughts and all of this. And even as I was teaching, I thought you are so hypocritical because you have such a hard time with yourself. Your thoughts do show your heart. Well, what what do you mean by that? And how can that lead us to despair? And how can it lead us to Jesus? Yeah, this part of the book that I wrote, I just spent so much time thinking about it and trying to write it carefully because I want to be faithful to scripture, right? I want to be faithful to scripture where it says that everything we do flows from our hearts and that's going to include our thoughts. But I also know from conversations that I've had with people And just from the way I have felt myself, just even what you described, that thinking about that is just like, oh, can I just like move past that teaching real fast? Because that's just, oh, that does not make me feel good. How does this help me? It just kind of makes me feel, oh. So I just wanted to think really carefully about how I presented that in both a faithful way, faithful to scripture, faithful to what God says, but also not discouraging to people. And I think one of the reasons we get stuck there is that, you know, the minute I say to myself, okay, I can know something about my heart by my thoughts. I'm instantly thinking back to this morning when I had thoughts that are like, I don't really want to share that with anybody. That would be really embarrassing if people could like look inside my head and see all of my sinful thoughts or all my thoughts that are just not so great. Right. So it just, it instantly leads me there. And I think in one of the things that gets us caught up is that emphasis that when we think about our hearts, we're instantly thinking about our, the evil things that come out of our hearts. Like that's where we go instantly. Like, Oh, like my thought, my my heart is terrible. Um, But if you look throughout scripture, that is not the only thing that we are told about our hearts. It's not just the bad things that come out of our hearts. There are so many good things that come out of our hearts too. And I, you know, I'm not exactly sure the reason why we instantly go to the bad things because there is, they're both there. And I think that's one of the things that encourages me and I hope can encourage other people is that, yes, of course, we all struggle with sin, but we also have like really beautiful thoughts. And we also have thoughts that, you know, where maybe we're grieving something and it's sad, but they're, they're good thoughts. They're thoughts that are, are very pleasing to God. And to, to first think in that direction of there's really good thoughts that come out of my heart too. You know, I use my thoughts to work. I use my thoughts to be creative. I use my thoughts to enjoy things. Like those are all really good thoughts. And so to not get stuck just on, I'm so sinful. (laughs) Don't get stuck there to know that there's the good thoughts too. And then also that when we, you know, we have to recognize and take seriously the way we sin in our minds, like that is a real thing. But again, like kind of going back to your question of how can that not lead us to despair is to think about how does this lead me to Jesus? How does this lead me to the gospel? Like knowing that, yes, like I have this sin inside of me and I do sin with my thoughts, but Jesus has covered that and Jesus knows every thought and intention of my heart and still he loves me. He's completely aware of everything that is inside of there, the good and the bad, and still he loves me. Um, And to make sure that we're taking that extra step of remembering that. I love the way that you put that about the, I mean, even when you mentioned about grieving, that your thoughts are grieving, but those are beautiful thoughts because they're right and they're appropriate. And thinking about 
friends that they've experienced really terrible betrayal by mm-hmm. trust friends, really awful, awful betrayal. Anybody would agree if they heard the story that it was unfair, it was unjust, it was just, just terrible. They are spending a lot of sleepless nights. They're thinking about what happened. They're thinking back through the relationship. They're thinking, what could I have done differently? I, you know, all those things that you think about when your heart is broken. You mentioned you, you have 12 strategies, but think about this person who their grief is appropriate. How would you guide them to be able to have those appropriate thoughts and give them time to lament and to feel all that they need to feel and experience, but still find a steady path with their thought life and their sleepless nights? I don't mean you have to give a whole big counseling session, but that person who's listening right now who is saying that I cannot stop thinking about this and having these conversations in my head, what, what would kind of be the first thing that you would say, okay, let's just try this. It's hard to pick just one. This might not be the very first thing I would suggest, but I think it might in the long run be the most important. And I think that is the process of going back to the story of what happens So going, because it's, these thoughts are coming out of a very specific event that they're replaying over and over again. And I would want to look at that story and understand it better. So there's a whole chapter in the book on that, on repairing our thoughts, understanding where our thoughts come from and locating God in the story. Because sometimes what can happen is that we just like miss where he fit in, where he was as the story was going on. And then even just thinking about, okay, like how can the stories in scripture help me think about this differently? Is there someone in scripture who was betrayed that I can relate to? Is there someone who felt the same way that I did? Is there somewhere in the Psalms that when I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is exactly how I feel. This helps me lament. This helps me grieve. Um, Is there someone in scripture who I read their story and it helps me feel seen by God or helps me understand this differently. So I would lead them back eventually. It might not be the absolute first thing that I would do, but I would eventually lead them back to the story and and help them just process it out and piece it out and see where their thoughts come out of it and how locating God in it and locating scripture in it can help them with it. That's beautiful. And I and when you're talking about going back into the story, I think also one of the things that we do with when we are in those places, at least I do it, is somehow the story changes. And having to repeat it to someone else who may be totally objective, who's willing to ask the hard questions, we might find there are places that we've changed the story and make ourselves look better than maybe we were in the process. But I'd be very careful about saying that to someone uh, initially. Right. Yes. And that's partly why I said it might not be the first thing I would do. There's other things that I would probably go to first, but eventually it'll be the most important part. Probably. I'm thinking about another person, uh, a woman who is in her mid forties, solid marriage, beautiful kids, great mother. I mean, anybody could see it. She probably thinks she's terrible, but she is a wonderful mother, teaches Bible study, mentors women, Her friends love her. I mean, if you were to look at her, she would be that social media woman who has life is perfect for her. It's, it looks like it's perfect for her, but she struggles with feeling rejected at times. If her friends don't respond to her 
Facebook post, the way, you know, why didn't they like it? Why didn't they comment? Or, you know, how come so-and-so didn't invite me to that little gathering out, out for coffee after Bible study, that kind of thing. And her, her thoughts just take over and she finds herself swirling into a pit, uh, feeling rejected and lonely. And yet that isn't the reality of her life, but that's how she feels. And that's where her thoughts take her. What would be some of the ways that she could address those thoughts realistically and, and help her to, to walk a steady path? One of the first things I wonder when I hear her story is like how quickly she is aware that those thoughts are crossing her mind. I mean, myself, I will often, so, I mean, I think it's at night when my thought races, my thoughts, my mind races the most. And sometimes it'll be like 20 minutes in before I even like realize what is racing around in my head and what I'm cycling through and what I'm actually saying to myself. So for some people, the first step is just being able to slow down and recognize like, oh, I had that thought again. That's the same thought I'm having over and over again. And to be able to catch yourself pretty quickly before it spirals for 15, 20 minutes, an hour, which happens to so many of us, I think. So just, I think one thing that would be helpful for for her would just be developing this ability to catch herself. Oh, I had that same pattern of thought again. And then like once we grow in our ability to catch ourselves, I I I really like helping people ask themselves good questions about their thoughts. So in the book I suggest four questions we can ask ourselves about difficult thoughts. Is this thought true? Is this thought helpful? Is this thought appropriate to my situation? And is this thought complete? Just four simple questions to help us examine our thoughts, analyze our thoughts, think through our thoughts, ourselves process our thoughts. Um, I think just that act of asking a question of ourselves um, can help us slow down and think about the thoughts a little bit more rationally, objectively, helpfully. So I might, I might kind of point her in that direction at first. You know, as I'm, I'm thinking about this, because I think probably every woman I know has had those moments where she has felt that at the culture that we live in and certainly sets us up. It keeps it keep peeling back the layers and it keeps going back to our relationship to Christ and eating our heads with, our hearts with. And you talk about that in your book. You talk about meditation and the word and how would you... She's already in the word. This this woman, you know, she's a Bible study teacher. But how would you recommend? What would you recommend to someone like her, or to me, or to anyone who is struggling with those kinds of feelings? Uh, and, then, and I catch it. I thought, okay, that yeah, I, that's the thought I'm having. But what do I replace it with? You know, the put off and the put on, and where? How do I fill my heart with what the truth is, rather than my personal gut reaction to it. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned meditation and I think that that, that is a good direction to go. And so, I mean, I'll just speak personally as someone who is a biblical counselor and somebody who uses scripture to help other people. And what I often find is that I'm like reading scripture or studying scripture for other people and not devotionally, not for myself, not for my relationship with the Lord. And so I do think that meditation can help with that um, because she probably knows the right scripture, right? She knows the scripture to go to. She knows the scripture that's going to speak truth to herself. And I think sometimes when it come, becomes so familiar that we just have trouble feeling it, we have trouble like sitting with it in ways that are going to help our own souls. 
And I do think meditation, as you mentioned, can help with that. This idea of reading scripture really slowly and contemplatively and sitting with the scripture, knowing that God is with us as we do. Um, So just thinking about that really practically, like I just love starting with Psalm 23. It's just such a comforting, familiar scripture and just reading it really slowly and then pausing at the end and sitting with it and reading it again, maybe out loud, even more slowly and noticing like what sticks out to me, maybe even visualizing some of those pictures, those beautiful pictures in the Psalm or finding a verse that's really speaking to you and repeating the words, doing it with a breath prayer like we did before, like a phrase that you find. And just sitting with it in that way and inviting God's presence, inviting God's help to come, becoming aware of that. We know he's always with us, but we're not always remembering that. We're not always aware of it. So just remembering that while we're reading and asking him to help us as we are for the words to sink in is kind of like a really practical thing that I I don't always do, right? I know, I know that I should and I don't always do it. So it's sometimes it's about taking the time, I think. And I, I resonate with what you're saying as a Bible study teacher. I've realized that over the years that I'm always thinking, oh, how can I use this in Bible study? But you're right. It's a totally different ball game is to step back and say, wait a minute, it has to hit my heart first and taking the time for it to do that. So um, yeah, that's very helpful. And I, I, you know, all of you Bible study teachers out there remember what Esther is saying that moment for yourself. And I love the that a familiar passage, one that you might look at it and say, I've taught this, but taking it in into your own heart just by yourself for a few minutes, I can imagine would be that that would make a big difference too. One of the gifts that God gives to us is community. He gives to the church community. I think it's one of his most priceless gifts that he gives to us. And I believe that it's in community that he keeps a lot of his promises to us through his people. Where do you see community coming into play? Like someone who is, they're listening to you and they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm doing some of those things and I'm going to continue to do those things. But man, I still, I still feel like I'm floundering. How could a friend help? And, and what would you, how would you see that relationship working out? I think that even just that act of sitting and listening is going to be so important. Because how often do we actually sit with a friend and let them talk uninterrupted for 20, 30, 45 minutes, which some of us need that, right? You know, that's why we go to counselors and pay counselors because we don't have anybody. Sometimes that's why, because we don't have anybody in our lives who's going to sit and listen to us for long periods of time without interrupting us, without judging us, without immediately trying to fix the situation with a Bible verse. Not that offering scripture is unhelpful, but that there's that urge, let me just fix this instead of let me sit with you. So I I think that it is absolutely so valuable to find somebody who is just going to sit and listen to you for a long period of time without judging you and without trying to instantly fix the problem. To sit with you and maybe grieve with you, to sit with you and just recognize this is really hard. And you're right. There's not an easy solution to this. Can I just be here with you through this? Um, So I think that like, that is what I would emphasize the most. I think like we absolutely need people in our lives who are going to help us see what we cannot see. There is that side as well that, you know, we have thoughts that we think are true, that we think are rational, that we think are helpful. And we're so caught up in the situation 
that we don't recognize that actually, no, that's not true. That's not rational. That's not helpful. Sometimes we need people to, to tell us that, but I like to emphasize the listening because I think we're really quick to go to that place of, no, that's not true. That's wrong. Let me help you with this scripture. Let me fix that for you. This is what you need to do. And we need people in our lives to do that. But can we sit, like, let's sit and listen to people for way longer than we think we need to first is, is where I go to. I have a couple of friends like that and they were key in my grief journey. They would just, and they said, they told me later, they said, sometimes we were afraid that lightning was going to strike because some of the stuff that I was saying was so outrageous and it it felt heretical to them, but they just listened and they never judged me. But later they would ask questions or they would say something very gently that would help me recognize where my thoughts had gone that weren't a good place. So what a gift in those kinds of friendships. Well, I'm thinking about another friend who was abused by family members. I mean, just, it's a horrific, horrible story pursued counseling. She did everything that she was asked to do. She went after healing and redemption, but she said that there were times where the thoughts of the past just would not, she couldn't break it. It was like she was in a prison cell with all these thoughts. You talk about trauma a little bit and you say that that's a different story, that that can be a different story. And you are a trauma counselor. So how would that inform you in the way that you would help someone with those kinds of raging thoughts that feel like they're strangling the person? So it absolutely is different. And kind of like going back to your question, even of why do we get stuck? Like, this is another reason we get, people get stuck in patterns of thought because they don't realize how connected they are to trauma, or maybe they do realize, but still they're like, okay, I know these thoughts are connected to this trauma, but like this person you're talking about, they've done everything they were told to do, and they're still struggling. And I think it's important first to understand why that happens. And just, I mean, to give bare minimum explanation of it, it has to do with the way that trauma impacts our brains, our bodies, and our nervous systems. So when you go through a trauma, your memory of that trauma is encoded in your brain differently than a normal, regular memory. It's encoded in a way that it often comes back not in this articulate language or articulate story, but more in these maybe flashes of images or just remembering one part of it, or maybe even smells or sensations in your body. So, you know, you're trying to process something verbally and because it's stored differently, your brain actually, the part of your brain that processes language actually goes offline during the trauma. So it's just the language part of it is not being stored in the same way. So a lot of times people even have trouble articulating what happened or they forget parts of what happened. And it's just very difficult to address thoughts that are so confusing and snippets of thoughts and thoughts that aren't like a whole thought, not like a whole sentence. It's more of just, like I said, like this flash of an image. So that's difficult to change thoughts like that. And and the other thing I'll mention that makes it really difficult is that when a person who has experienced trauma thinks back on what happened, they are going to feel oftentimes these overwhelming sensations in their bodies connected with the thought. If you think back on a memory of the trauma, or you even think about some of those negative beliefs about yourself that can come up, thoughts of I'm unworthy or I'm disgusting or I'm shameful. 
and you think about that, a lot of times you're going to feel it in your body and that can be absolutely overwhelming for people. Feelings of panic, just sensations all over your body that people can experience. And so changing thoughts connected to the trauma is going to be difficult if you're feeling like I have to avoid these thoughts because it's just going to make me panic. My body is just going to become so overwhelmed that I can't even think about it. So that, I think it's really important to start with that. That's what can make it so difficult. And that's important because I think trauma survivors and people in the church can become impatient of, I should be able to you know, just know that I am worthy in Christ and that should be enough, but it's more complicated than that because of how deeply embedded it is in our nervous systems. So in the book, I just give such a brief introduction and I focus on establishing a sense of safety. That's where we have to start. We have to feel safe in our bodies and safe in our communities, safe in our families, safe with the Lord before we can really get to a point of being able to address some of those thoughts And so there's a lot of different strategies that I won't get into that you can kind of do to calm your body, to calm your mind, to feel safe in community. And then I think what a lot of people are missing when they've done everything that they've been told to do is that in my opinion, in my personal opinion, trauma survivors who are stuck need to see counselors who are trained in therapies that addressed some of those physical manifestations of the trauma and the way it is stored in our bodies. Um, So personally, I'm trained in a therapy called EMDR, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Um, And it's a type of therapy that helps people think back on the trauma and to desensitize some of those sensations and some of the distress associated with the memory. And then to be able to process the story in a safe way. And I do it in a way that brings in scripture, that brings in the gospel, that helps them understand where where God was in the story while also helping them feel safe in their bodies. So, I mean, that's my very brief cursory answer. It was long, but it was also in the grand scheme of things brief in terms of what actually happens, but we need therapies that address what's going on in people's bodies. Listen, I, I feel as though what you just said is very hopeful. Because I know that there are going to be people listening who are going to say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, everything you just described, I, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't have these, these thoughts and all of this. And yet what you're saying is it goes deeper than that. To me, that would give me hope if I have a diagnosis, if, if somebody could diagnose me and say, okay, this is, this is the root cause and we're going to go back and treat that. And we're going to do it like inch by inch by inch by inch. and um, so that is a very hopeful thing. I think sometimes in the Christian world, we are too sugary sweet with putting a Band-Aid where surgery needs to take place. So I appreciate what you're saying. And we are going to have uh, Esther's contact information in the show notes so that you can contact her. If she is not able to help you, she could probably refer you to somebody. But also we Marking Ministries has started, has a, a counseling ministry. It's biblical counseling, online counseling. Uh, you can find out more information about Anchored Hope as well when you go to, we'll have a link in their show notes, but also on our website at markinc.org. So I believe in counseling. I, I believe that this is helpful. It's very helpful, but sometimes we need someone that takes us deeper. And I appreciate, I really appreciate the way you put that. I think it's filled with hope. What you said is just filled with hope. And so let's go a step further. We're going to be wrapping up our time here pretty soon. But 
when would someone consider medication? Yes, I think this is such an important question because there can be this feeling in certain churches, certain families, certain Christian circles that medication is this really scary thing. It's not an option. I need to find everything that I need in the Lord to help me with these thoughts. And like, yes, I understand that's, I understand where people are coming on from to a degree, but like we have to recognize that medication is an option. It is an option for people and there are signs that it might be a good option for you personally, if you're listening. So I think that medication is a very personal decision. It's different for everybody. There are risks involved. You know, even if you're talking to a secular counselor or psychiatrist, they will hopefully, if they're a good one, tell you that there are risks involved in taking medication and it's not the right answer for everyone. It's not a quick fix. It's not going to fix your thoughts. It could, hopefully, if it does what it's supposed to do, give you some relief so that you can, that will help you focus on counseling and other strategies to hopefully get to the root cause. But medication can be very, very helpful for a lot of people. I do recommend it to some people. And so some signs that maybe for you personally, it could be helpful. I look at the frequency the length and the intensity of the thoughts. So how much distress are the thoughts causing? Like to what extent are they impacting your day-to-day life? How long has this been going on for 10 years or a week? Like how long has it been going on? How often are the thoughts coming? Is this like every single minute of the day you're dealing with them? Or is it like for half an hour at night? Like looking at some of those things can give an idea because the more frequent, the more intense, the more, the longer it's been, that's going to point you more towards, towards medication. I think another thing I look at is are the thoughts causing or leading to, or is there a potential for any harm to happen to yourself or someone else? Are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you thinking about hurting somebody even on an emotional or mental level? Are you verbally or emotionally lashing out at somebody in your life where maybe medication could help you start to get control of that. Um, Another thing I look at is going back to that concept of how our bodies are involved. Is there a physical cause or is the, are the thoughts causing physical symptoms? Are you having panic attacks where your body is going crazy and you just need some help calming that down? And then the other thing that I look at, and this is one of the main points that I try to make with medication is that if you're trying to make a decision about medication, I actually think it's much less important whether or not you take medication and more important that if you do take medication, that you're doing it in a helpful way. And what I mean by that is, are you going to counseling while you take medication? Are you reading scripture and praying, going to the Lord while you take medication? Are you in community while you take medication? Are you practicing coping skills and doing other things that are good for you and exploring your story and all these things? Because if you're just going to take medication and not focus on these other things, it will be a Band-Aid and it it may help you, but it might not help you for very long if your body starts to adjust to it and it might cause side effects. And so medication can be very helpful, but I always recommend using it in combination with other things at the same time. Yeah, I I like that answer. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there that's been very confident by what you just said and helped by that. We're going to wrap up our time, Esther. I hate to do it because I just have really appreciated your thoughts. And I'm hoping, listener, that this conversation is acting like salty peanuts, that you've got to have more and uh, more from Esther. And you can get more from Esther by getting her book, A Still and Quiet Mind by Esther Smith. And you can buy it anywhere. 
but we will have a link to it in the show notes as well. Esther, as we are uh, wrapping up, could you encourage that person who, I think you've done it already through the our conversation, but that person who would say to you once more, I have tried everything. I just feel like nothing is working. What hope can you give to that person? The first thing that I would say is that it is okay to take the pressure off of yourself. It's okay to take the pressure off of feeling like you need to immediately fix what's going on, um, to even allow yourself to rest in the struggle for a while instead of trying to get out of the struggle. And I, I say that knowing that that can be difficult, but also believing that that can be really important. Just thinking about even some of my own struggles in my own life. For me, my biggest suffering has been just like physical chronic illness type suffering. And one of the most helpful things for me was coming to this place where nobody was pressuring me to get better. Nobody was saying like, you have to get better or pushing me to go to doctors or pushing me to do this and that and this and that. And to just be able to sit in it and say, you know what, this is my thorn in the flesh right now. And this is the suffering that God has me going through right now. And I don't have to get better for anyone. I want to get better. I'm going to do all the things that I need to do to get better, but I don't have to get better for anybody. And that was a really important thing for me to just be able to say, you know what, I'm just going to pause for a minute. I'm just going to pause and know that this right now is the suffering that God has placed me in. And it's not shameful that I can't get better. It's not something that should cause me guilt. It's just where I am right now. And again, I'm going to do everything that I can to get out. But for now, can I just rest here? And most importantly, can I rest here with God, that God is here with me in this? He's not pressuring me. You know, he's just sitting with me here. And I think that that is a really important place to be able to come to. Of I'm here in my suffering with God. And for now, this is okay. One day he's going to take it all away. I don't understand why he has it right now, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm not trying hard enough. It doesn't mean anything terrible about me. It's just where I am. And so I would just encourage you that it's okay to sit there instead of feeling like, I have to get better or I'm a bad Christian. It's not true. That's not true. Thank you so much, Esther. Thank you for sharing with us your heart and your passion for helping others. I have just enjoyed this conversation so much. And I know that our listeners have been encouraged and helped. And I hope that you will let us know how God is using the Help and Hope podcast to touch your heart and help turn your heart toward Jesus, whether it is through our conversation with Esther or one of our other podcasts. We would love to hear from you. And this has been produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Uh, you can go to markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can find lots and lots of free resources and many stories, redemption stories, where people are sharing their hearts as a means of helping you to walk by faith as well. Again, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. You can also there find the show notes, which will have information on how you can connect with Esther, uh, link to her book, and as I said, many other free resources. Thank you again, Esther Smith, author of A Still and Quiet Mind, for sharing your life with us today. And we look forward to seeing much more of you as you offer the help and hope of the gospel to hurting people. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, 
to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.